Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out, and I'd ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be picking up, uh, we've been working our way through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which encompasses uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and uh, took a little bit of time. We got through chapter 5. There was some some hard things in chapter 5, but good things uh, for us to contemplate. Uh, we are uh, one week, so next Sunday is the first Sunday of uh, the church season that we call Lent, and that begins our um, journey that we take each year um, right up to Easter. And the season of Lent is one of, um, it's marked with uh, confession, it's marked with penitence, it's a, it's a time where we uh, prepare our hearts so that we can properly celebrate um, resurrection on Easter Sunday. And so the season of Lent uh, actually begins on Wednesday, and, and uh, each year, uh, there's a Wednesday, it's called Ash Wednesday. You may have heard of that. We've had uh, some sort of a service over these last uh, seven or eight years. And um, this year, I want to invite you into a time just of prayer and reflection on Wednesday, late afternoon, early evening, from 4 to 6 p.m. Um, I'm just going to be in, uh, in our chapel, and we're just going to have that set up. Um, just rows facing the front, and it's sort of a come and go time. If you can be here for five minutes to pause and reflect and pray, um, great. If you want to stay for an extended period, um, we're just going to have some quiet music playing um, and give you that, that opportunity on Wednesday from 4 to 6. So I would uh, invite you uh, to join me for that. The text that we come to today, it begins Matthew chapter 6, and in the, in the sort of the middle, I'm going to break up the reading slightly, you'll notice our text goes from verse 1 through 8, and then hops over and picks up uh, 16, 17, and 18, and that's because Jesus addresses uh, three things in a very similar way if you, if you look at the structure of, of how it's written. Uh, and right there in the middle, he gives us a little bit of an extended teaching on, on prayer. And so the first three weeks of our Lent, we're going to come back to this middle section and, and talk about a prayer that we know in the church as the Lord's Prayer. Um, so we'll, do, we'll begin that next week. Uh, but now that you're all settled in and have your Bibles open, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me to honor the authority of the Word. So we pick up Matthew chapter 6 in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And we skip down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's the word of the Lord. We say thanks be to God. You can be seated. I... I like this passage for a couple of reasons. One, one of the reasons is that it takes me back to some childhood places. I'm, I'm drawn to the number of times that Matthew chooses to use the word secret and closed door. Uh, I had lots of secret places when I was a kid. You, you might have some of your own memories, places that you would steal away to, to an enjoy time by yourself, maybe with a friend or two. Uh, one of them was just right across the street. Cleveland Avenue is here, and then just across the street there was an empty lot, and it was wooded, and there were huge outcroppings of rocks between the trees, and so it really wasn't conducive for building, and so it just sat vacant. Well, for a young boy, and his buddies, that was a great place to explore and to build forts and find things to, you know. It was all wholesome and good. My mom and dad are watching, so that's about all I'll have to say about it. No, it was good. <clears throat> but, you know, we'd build forts and we'd sit around and talk and, you know, it was just sort of an escape. You could think and talk and solve all the world's problems. And then there's another place... Um, I think I might have shared this at one point, but in the town that I grew up in, there was this big library. It was an older building. It was called Peter White Public Library and had lots of books, and, but it had a second level that was usually closed off to the public, and it had this two arching staircases, and then, uh, and then it just disappeared into whatever was up there. And uh, it was really intriguing. Like, I always wanted to know what was up on the second floor of the library. And, and it was often, every time I w went there, the, on both staircases, there were those brass stands with those thick velvet ropes blocking it off. And it said something, probably, it probably said stay out <laughs> or, you know, closed or something like that. Well, I was just so curious what's up there in that reading room. I had all sorts of in pictures that I envisioned of what it might be like up there, and, and finally I succumbed to the temptation at one point, and I, nobody was looking, so I snuck under the rope and rushed up the stairs. 
And it was everything that I had imagined plus more. It was, it was one of those beautiful reading rooms of yesteryear. And it had the big wing-back chairs. And it, it, it looked like it had been decorated and preserved perfectly like for a hundred years. It quickly became one of my favorite secret places. Every time that we would go to the library, if nobody was looking, I would sneak up there and just sit in one of those, sink back into one of those big wing-back chairs and, and just think and read. And uh, it was a nice, quiet time. I was talking to a friend uh, recently about, about these sorts of places, and, and he grew up along the Mississippi River right there um, by, by Minneapolis on, on one side and, and Hudson, Wisconsin on the other. And, and he and, and one of his buddies, when they were young, um, one of their favorite spots was they had, they had found this place right underneath the highway bridge that went... Uh, that spanned the Mississippi River. And, and so on the Minnesota side, they would just sit under that bridge and the, it would give them shade in the summertime and the breeze would come by and, and they would think and talk and laugh and, and just watch all the activity on the river. I love this idea that this picture that we get in this text of places like that, places that we can go and think and pray and maybe do business with God, they're, they're good places to find. And Jesus, he points us in the direction of those places uh, multiple times uh, in, the, in the text we read. And my question is, why does he encourage his followers to practice their faith in private? Why does he do that? What is, what is the underlying message of, of that direction that Jesus gives? You know, he, he is, um, he's encouraging what I call the spiritual discipline of secrecy. Go practice in secret. Now, now why does he do that? Well, in a simple statement, I, I think he does it to question our motives. Ouch. Are we practicing our faith as an act of worship and praise to God, or do we have slightly twisted motives, and, and do we hope that maybe we'll get some public credit for our spiritual you know, activity out and about, and, and maybe get some admiration for that, and, and maybe all of the glory and honor and praise that is to be directed towards God, maybe sometimes we want to muscle God out of the way a little bit and allow some of that to fall on ourselves. And I think Jesus has noticed that in some of the religious people of his day, and he's, he's now calling it out. He's like, you know, if you're tempted by that, you go find that secret place. If you remember back, if you have your Bibles open in, in chapter 5, in, in verse 16, Jesus encouraged his disciples to let their light shine so that others might see their good works. You know, if you stopped the sentence there, it might suggest the opposite of what we're talking about now. You know, do your faith so that others see your good works, but the sentence goes on so that others see your good works and glorify God. So your 
spiritual activity that's authentic and true done with pure motives will direct people's focus not to you but to God the one who inspires it and so he's bringing this up again in chapter 5 he he gives us some uh, other examples um he's not he's not saying don't practice your faith in public but when you do remember it's not for your glory it's for God's the danger uh for disciples of Jesus is that is that you may want to get the credit you may want to muscle in and, and get the glory and Jesus continually uh, he exposes our mixed motives he exposes our tendency to focus on external things and and once again he he um, he's poking at that with us in chapter 5 it wasn't if you remember it wasn't it wasn't about murder it was about the motive of anger that we harbor in our hearts it wasn't remember it wasn't about adultery it was about the lust and so we have this tendency to focus on the external act and he says, yes, you, you know, don't do those things. But, but also, don't forget about the motivations that happen within your heart and, and within your soul. And now, he's pointing it out um, in our religious practices. How we, how we do our faith, how we express our piety, our devotion to God. And he's saying that it's about the posture of our heart. And he's saying that God sees. He's saying that God knows. So whatever we might think is hidden from everybody else, he's telling us up front, no, 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 no. The one who really matters, he knows. And he sees. So we get to verse 1 in our text. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. To be seen by them. If you do this, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He's talking about three specific acts of devotion to God. He talks. Of, he addresses almsgiving or giving to the needy. He talks about prayer and he talks about fasting. And Matthew writes as if these are assumed practices. Jesus isn't instructing them to do these things or not to do these things. Jesus is identifying th ways that people are already practicing their faith. So he, he makes this assumption, I know that you are doing these things. And these practices are really good to do because they... They deepen our walk. They, they deepen our faith. It builds spiritual depth within us. Giving to the needy is it's giving out of mercy. It's, it's giving to help people in need. It's what the people of Israel had been practicing for hundreds of years. They had recognized that God was the one who uh, expressed his generosity to them, and so they were returning the generosity that they experienced from God by giving to others. Prayer, it's a, an ongoing conversation with God. It's as much about listening as it is about talking. 
and speaking needs. He talks about fasting, which is sort of a practice in search of a simpler lifestyle. The practice of fasting attaches a very physical, real need. By If you're fasting from food, for example, when you miss a meal, your stomach growls, your body tells you, right? Yes. I mean, I'll probably feel it while I'm preaching this message, a little bit of hunger. And when you're fasting and you have the hunger pangs, those are what remind you to go to God in prayer and to spend time with him, to deepen that relationship with him, to, to tune your body that when, when you sense a need, that you go to God first for the need. Maybe you think about it this way. When, when you are training for something. Uh, oftentimes you will add additional weight. So there's a, a guy who lives on our hill and every fall he goes hunting and a couple months before he goes hunting he, he increases the amount of weight that he puts in his backpack. And so he'll go up the hill and you can tell when he's loaded it down and he's just plodding along. But if you watch him walk the hill when he doesn't have that backpack on, he's super fast. Because you shed that weight and it's a much easier trek up our hill. Think about fasting in, in a similar way. When, when you fast or you remove something from your life, like maybe... Maybe you would choose to fast from technology for a day, or you would choose that maybe it's a food fast. It, the idea is you, you're, you're clearing space. You're, you're, taking, you're removing things from your life so that you can become closer to God. So maybe, if you want to think about it in that training metaphor, you fast so that you can run faster to God. And so Jesus is talking about, he, he identifies the giving, he, he identifies prayer, he identifies fasting, and, and he, he knows that these things uh, help people in, in their relationship with God. But what Jesus is warning about is that it's not about producing the look of spirituality. You don't do these things because you want to look good doing it, or you want to appear like you're being some super spiritual person. In Jesus' day, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the, so the religious teachers, they were accused of playing to the crowds with their piety, with their acts of devotion. They, they were accused of uh, looking spiritual when maybe... At their core, maybe not so much. They, they had mastered this. They, they, did these, they did these three things particularly with um, an extra public flair. And Jesus questions them on it. Is this for God or is this for your glory? And Jesus calls them, he, um, you notice that in three times in, in our text, he refers to them as hypocrites. 
people who lived behind a mask, people who uh, were fake, people who postured one reality but were living another one. And, and Jesus used a theatrical term here. A hypocrite was an actor who literally put a mask on their face so that they could play another character. And he likened this to religious folks who were grandstanding, who were you know, seeking the limelight for themselves, who were wanting to have the applause of the crowds whenever they practiced their faith in public. They wanted to be caught doing just the right thing at the right moment. Oh, look how spiritual they are. Jesus calls them out as, as hypocrites. Now, I know for some of you here today, um, looking too spiritual, it's not really an issue for you. Some of you have matured beyond that, and, and you get that, and you, you understand that. Others here, you might not even want to look spiritual at all. Like you, you might even be embarrassed to think that some of your friends or coworkers or people that you go to school with might think that you're even just a little bit religious. I mean, you would rather maybe just have people think that you are worldly. And um, unless you were in the company of maybe your saintly grandma or you know, people who you know go to church, you just assume, ah, no, I don't want to look, I don't want to look too religious. And I appreciate your honesty in that. And God appreciates that honesty. And I'm, I'm glad that you're here. And I want you to know that, that God is never going to ask you to fake it. But there are, there are a lot of us who do struggle with this particular issue. It matters so much to us what others think of us. Uh, we want people to think of us as good, religious people, um, so much so that sometimes we're willing to perform just a little bit so that we can get that reward in the moment. We maybe tune our behavior based on the crowd we're with. Maybe we fine-tune what we say and do based on, on the audience who we think is watching us. We want to make a good impression. We want to get the accolades. We want to hear that applause and we want to hear them say oh wow they may they are spiritual if only i would ever live my life like that the one thing when you live a sort of a hypocritical life like that well, the one the one thing that we might not realize in the moment deep down we might know but in the moment we don't realize it is that lots of the time the people that we're performing for the ones that are closest to us who know us well you know they have us figured out and so they sort of know when we're play acting. They know when we're being real. But usually to be nice, they just go ahead and play along. Uh, and if you think about our society, we live in a society that rewards the best actors and actresses, right? I mean, you know how much money Americans spent at the box office last year? Eleven billion dollars. Wow. 11 billion dollars uh, to watch other people pretend to be fake people. <laughs> That's a lot of money that we, sp we invest in people who 
play people who they are not. And we call them what? Actors, stars, celebrities is the name that comes to mind. But we don't really know who they are themselves. We only know them for the roles that they play. We hand out awards to the best fake people. That's, that's a true statement. All the award shows that come up on TV, are, we are awarding people for their, their uh, playing the best fake people. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us that we play this game and we, we try and pretend to be people we're not. I mean, it's the famous kid's pastime, isn't it? We're going to play dress-up or we're going to play whatever game. And it's oftentimes taking on a persona that is not them. It's just woven into, into how we operate. And it's not a new thing. And we reward, we reward people for this behavior with the things of this world. Money, fame, applause. Put them up on that pedestal. Wow, they're so good at that. And if your performance is good enough, <clears throat> people are willing to look beyond the kind of person that you really are. Business leaders who lie, who cheat, who steal, who treat their employees in really rotten ways, well, they're oftentimes rewarded if the bottom line is good. If your approval rating is just right, it seems as a way where the end justifies the means. Our world rewards public performance, even though it is disconnected from private character. That's, I don't think anybody would, would argue with, with those statements at all. And Jesus, said he had much, as much admits it in the passage that we read. I like the imagery that Jesus uses. He paints, he paints this sort of comical, um, larger-than-life cartoon-like picture of what practicing these spiritual disciplines in public uh, looks like. And you can conjure up some of the humorous images yourself, but he says, don't announce your giving with screaming trumpets. Uh, he's basically, you, could, you could say, hey, <clears throat> when you're giving to the needy, you can go ahead and leave the pep band at home. You don't need them to play at just the right moment to have all eyes on you before you give. <clears throat> he's like, don't, don't do that. He says, don't pray with a megaphone out on the street corner and use lots of words so that people look and say, oh, wow, they're, they're praying. He says, don't bellyache about your fasting. Don't allow yourself to go and um, dishevel your face and leave your hair all uncombed. He's like, no, wash your face and comb your hair. Don't make it obvious that you are fasting. Don't draw attention to yourself for these sorts of things. This is between you and God in this moment. He says that <clears throat> with all of these things, if you do them you get your reward in the moment. If, you, if your motive is such that, that you desire the public... <clears throat> well, that was good. That was good. If, if, that's, if you're seeking any of that, in the moment, you get your reward, and there will be no more reward. Now, Jesus is using a bit of hyperbole <clears throat> to make his point. He's saying, don't play to the camera. And, and you've seen these people. Every good deed is conveniently caught 
Uh, it's done in the presence of a camera or in front of an audience. It's part of our culture. People give so that they get good publicity. <clears throat> they give so they have a better public image, drive their product sales. Some people give simply because they know that they'll get a tax credit for it. People want to show off their faith. And society doesn't really care. The society back then actually encouraged some of these. The Roman system was one where you would do sorts of things to elevate your position in society. So Jesus is preaching into a culture that's thinking opposite of what he's talking about. The, the Romans would think, well, <clears throat> why else would you give? I mean, yeah, sir, you, you do something good in the process, but you give so that you also get something in return, a boost in social status, a boost in, in, in people's um, um, thoughts about you. You get some benefit for the things that you give. And I suppose it's probably not so much different today. I think Jesus is reminding us that you can't seek to please both God and other people at the same time. You can't play to two audiences. And see, the error, the error in this, it's just, it's so subtle. You can't equate human applause with God's approval. You can't measure what God thinks about you based on how other people around you are, oh yeah, that was good. You can't evaluate your spirituality simply by listening to the evaluation of your friends. Or, or critics, for that matter. It can go in both ways. Maybe to put it in, in modern terms, I, I always like to think if, if Jesus were here and he was going to give us a version of, of this message today using um, things of our culture that, that we would immediately connect with, I, <clears throat> I, I think... Um, I think he would say this. I think he would notice that for us, it's so easy to get an audience. Um, we have the internet. We have social media. It's just instant audience. And I think Jesus would probably say, keep your piety off the internet. If you're counting how many likes that you get on social media, I think Jesus would say, you're doing it for the wrong reason. You're drawing attention to yourself. You're not bringing glory to your heavenly Father. I think he would say you'll get no reward from your Father in heaven because you've already gotten your reward. And you know, at the end of the day, what I think is um, it's, a sad, it's a sad commentary. I think for most people, public perception is enough. think about that. I think for many of us, public perception is good enough. If we impress other people, we're happy, at least in the moment. If we are thought of as religious, well, that's good enough. That's what I'm, I'm, that's what I'm trying for. If we create a certain persona, if we create a reputation, oh, I've arrived. If we achieve the pats on the back that we want, if, 
if we get the likes on social media, if we enjoy the acceptance of our peers at some level, I think that we sort of enjoy the satisfaction that comes from that. And we start to believe all the good press and the nice comments, and we begin to believe that we are sufficiently spiritual. How can so many people be wrong? Our ego is bloated, but our soul is shriveled. Let that one sink in for a minute. Open your heart. Let, Let your soul receive that word. Whose reward are you living for? Who's Whose applause, whose applause matters the most to you? Jesus came, and in a text like this, he he just kind of walks up to us, and he says, you know what, just go ahead and take that mask off. You know what, let's take that one off too. Oh, and the third one, yeah, let's strip that one back as well. Because he says God knows your heart. God sees who you really are. So you don't have to go around with all these pretenses playing a fake character who you're not. Jesus is driving at that with through these three little episodes in our text. But he gives us a way out of this fake spirituality. He doesn't say don't practice these things. It's not a free pass out of uh, going to church or praying with others or or giving to help those in need. He's not not saying don't do those sorts of things. What What he is saying is that when you're tempted to do these things for the wrong reasons, when you're tempted to do them to gain some of the attention for yourself so that some of the glory that's supposed to go to God would just fall on me and make me feel good in the moment, he says stop, turn, and run to your hiding place. Stop, turn, and run to that secret place that you go for quiet, for communion, for prayer, for thinking, whatever it is, go into your room and close the door. That's what Jesus says. If you are tempted, he's recognizing that these are struggles that each of us are going to have in life. He says, when that starts to creep in, be in tune with God enough that you will know that you're trying to bring glory to yourself and not to God and run the other direction. And he doesn't say, don't give, don't pray, don't fast. He's saying, until you get it right in your heart, do it in secret. Because, you're, because God, your Father in heaven, who knows your heart, he sees and he will reward you. When you're helping the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing. It's not permission for sloppy accounting. It's what, what he's saying is when you give money, do your best to forget about it and move on. Remember how generous God has been to you and go and do likewise. When, when you pray, don't make a show of it. Go to your closet your father will see, he will hear, it doesn't matter where you are. When you fast, don't try and look pathetic by bringing attention to yourself. Wash your face, comb your hair, look normal. Sometimes 
Sometimes it takes outward actions to lead us to inward change. You know, the saying that we mention in here once in a while is practice. Often in culture, it says practice makes perfect, right? I would rather say practice makes permanent. When you practice something over and over and over again, it becomes part of, of who you are. And we are instructed how to carry out these spiritual disciplines in such a way that our lives lift up the Savior rather than ourselves. And when we get it right, we are assured that our Heavenly Father will notice and will reward us openly. As we close the, the message portion, I, I just want you to think about a couple things. We're entering a season... Uh, the season of Lent begins next week. Season of confession, a season of, of repentance. Um, see, Jesus assumes that we're going to practice our faith. If we're disciples of Jesus, he, he just makes some assumptions about us. He made some assumptions about the people that he was talking to back then, that they were, doing, they were already doing these things. And his point is to, is to match the outward uh, display. Um, it's not so much about the outward display. It's, it's about the motive of, of your heart. It's about being penitent before God. It's about laying our self-interests aside. He's, he's calling us really to examine um, motives. He he wants us to face things head on. And, and there's some difficult questions. When we, when we confront things head on, there's just some super difficult questions for us. Because repentance is hard. Confession is, is hard, but it's, it's good for your soul. And the reason it's hard is because you have to admit you're wrong about something. And above all else, we Americans don't want to admit we're wrong about anything. We'd rather isolate ourselves and pull back than enter more fully into a relationship when we have to do the hard work of saying, I'm sorry. I apologize. I was wrong. So the questions that I would just put out for you to think about. Are you really willing to acknowledge your sin and your brokenness? Are, are you willing to face God and admit that? Are you willing to turn to your neighbor who you've hurt and wronged and apologize and make every effort, every fiber of your being in alignment with that so that you do better next time. That repentance that is one that turns doesn't turn around and go back but proceeds forward into a, into a new future. Are you willing to be honest like this with yourself and with God about what really drives and motivates you. Another human tendency is we, we, don't, we don't like and we try and avoid 
confronting who we know we really are. And sometimes it's easier to just put that mask on and say, well, people know me as this. Don't deceive yourself that way. Allow God to speak into your life. He, he loves you more than anything. He wants your health. He wants your wholeness. He wants you to be in relationship with him. So he will not cast you out when you come to him with the spirit of repentance and a desire that he would forgive you and begin to heal you. I guess the question is, are you willing to lay yourself bare before God and let his Holy Spirit work in your life? How are things with you and the Lord? Maybe if you turn the question so that you're, at, you're the one asking the question, you could ask God, how are things between me and you, God? And allow him to answer the question. Allow him to do that work in your soul. It'd be hard, but you know what? He is so gracious and gentle. It hurts because we have to admit we're wrong. And he asks us to turn, but he is so loving and gracious. As we journey from now through this season of Lent, maybe Wednesday night is the night you come and just contemplate these sorts of things in the quiet of our chapel. I invite you to contemplate, I invite you to wrestle with thing, these questions. I invite you to live a confessional life before the Lord. Can you do that? That's quiet in here, so I know you heard. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is doing that work even now in your life because it is so good and it is so healing for your body and for the whole body, for the uni unity that we desire together as a fellowship, the people of God said, Amen.